Matthew chapter 24. Today we begin a series of sermons that you picked. I gave you the opportunity to write some questions down, and one of the things that you see whenever you do that is sometimes themes develop. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three different subjects, but they all center around the same sort of theme or question. And that question or that theme is, what happens when we die or when this life ends? The most of the questions that I got dealt with death or the end of time or the end of our life and what happens thereafter. Now, we're not alone in that fascination. People all over the country are fascinated with that. There are books that have been written in recent years that are big-time sellers about what happens after you die. There are television shows that talk about near-death experiences. There are television shows that are on prime time where uh, people are talking with those that have already left. People are talking to the dead. So it's not an issue that is indifferent to the rest of the world. But as Christians, we have a unique perspective on it. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about Today, are we living in the last days? Next week, what is heaven going to be like? The week after that is, does God really send good people to hell? And so, over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about those issues. But today, we're going to start with the last days. I saw an interesting study, a survey that came out this week from Harris Interactive Survey. It was sponsored by CarMD.com. It found that 10% of 2,041 U.S. adults were driving cars where the check engine light was on. Does everybody have a check engine light in your car? Okay. You know where it is? Now, usually when the check engine light comes on, that means you should check your engine. That's a great response. I heard you were responding to Cliff earlier, and y'all, do, y'all respond better to him than me. I'm a little concerned. found that they were driving cars whose check engine light was on, and alarming 50% of those had had the light on for at least three months. Another 10% had been on between one and two months, so over 60% of those who had the check engine light had been uh, on for over a month. The survey found that drivers had a litany of excuses. Some of the things that they said was that they just turned a blind eye because their car was running fine to them. Others said they didn't have the money and they just didn't have the time to worry about it. The reason that I mentioned that this morning is because we're going to talk about something that Jesus told us about, warned us about, and basically told us that in the life of living a Christian or of a living Christian, someone that is living the Christian life, that the check engine light constantly ought to be on about His second coming. Now we're going to start with a question, and there it is. Now last week, uh, I told you at the beginning I was going to do something that most preachers shouldn't do, and today I'm going to do it again. I'm going to answer the question before we ever start. All right? Are we living in the last days? Now this is what I want you to do. This is a yes or no question. Okay? You have a 50-50 chance, and there is a right answer. So I want you to turn to whoever you're sitting next to, and I want you to tell them if we are living in the last days. All you have to say is yes or no. So turn to your neighbor and tell them whether we're living in the last days. You don't need to give a biblical explanation. You don't need to give a commentary series. Just yes or no. All right, everybody ought to be done. That doesn't take that long. Some of you are just looking for a chance to talk to your neighbor, and I gave it to you. 
All right, let me see a show of hands. How many of you think the answer is yes? Let me see your hands. How many think it's no? All right, you four are wrong. I told you there's a right and wrong answer. The truth is we are living in the last days. But let me tell you something. That's nothing new. The last days have existed since the time of Jesus. In Acts 2.17, it says, In these last days, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Peter announces at Pentecost that the last days have come. Now you're saying, well, that was almost 2,000 years ago. Yes, here's the reality. Our definition really doesn't matter. That's God's definition. Well, what is it like? Well, here, let me compare it to something you might be familiar with. Some of you wives out there have husbands who very soon will start watching football on Sunday afternoon. And occasionally, my wife will walk in and ask me to do something with a football game on. And my response to her will be, Babe, I will do that as soon as the game is over. There are only two minutes left. Right? And she looks at the game clock, and it says one minute, 58 seconds. So I even exaggerated a little bit. Now, what's the problem? Are there two minutes left in that game? No. Two minutes at the end of a football game can take 45 minutes if they don't go into overtime. The truth is, our perception of time is not God's perception of time. And so our understanding has to be couched with 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. It says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Here's the reality. We are living in the last days, but the last days can last for an indeterminable amount of time. Because to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So to the Lord, it's only been two days since Jesus was here. Now, you don't take that literally necessarily, but it just means that his concept of time is different. There's the old joke that says there was an economist that was talking to God and said, is it true to you that a a thousand years is like a day? God says, absolutely. He said, well, then I will bet to you a penny is like a million dollars. And he said, yes, it is. And the economist said, well, Lord, I'd like to have one of those pennies. And God says, I'll do that in a day. So you see, we're looking from a close perspective. And God is wanting us to understand that the last days are what we're living in. We need to constantly be aware of that. Now the reality is that we know that the last days will culminate in the return of Jesus. And the real question people are asking when they ask, are we living in the last days, is whether or not Jesus is coming back soon. Now, again, we get into discussion of what soon means. But the point is, when is Jesus coming back to earth? And that is the real question. Your Bibles, I had you turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. And in Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 51, it's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but we're going to talk about it and read parts of it. 
Jesus lays down some laws for us to understand. Starting in verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two men will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and you would have not let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Let me tell you, the two things we're going to talk about this morning, two major ideas. The first one is this, is that no one knows when Christ will return. No one knows when Christ will return. Now, that doesn't stop people from trying. Amen? I mean, they have been trying for hundreds of years. I read a story this week of something that happened on New Year's Eve 999. I don't know if they had a big millennial celebration that the new year 1000 was coming, but in 999, there was a crowd of people in St. Peter's Basilica. Pope Sylvester II was their leading mass. And someone had predicted that the world would end at the stroke of midnight, January 1st, the year 1000. And so as the time crept down, there were people there that were literally scared to death. In fact, at approximately 11.59 and 55 seconds, there are reports that the clock that they were all watching slowed for a minute. I don't know if those are human reports. They didn't have any time tests really done then. But it is reported that when it slowed at that last few seconds, that there were literally people who died thinking the world had ended. At midnight, however, the clock struck. Nothing happened, and the world continued. In uh, the 1800s, there was a guy named William Miller. He was a, a founder of a faith and decided that he wanted to predict the end of the world. And so he went through this calculation that said in Daniel 8.14, it says that after 2,300 days, the sanctuary will be cleansed. He realized that day actually meant year and the cleansing of the sanctuary meant the eradication of evil. According to some people, Daniel recorded that prophecy in 457. So adding 2,300 years to 457, he got 1843, and he said that the world would end in 1843. 50,000 people took the message to heart, sold everything they had, moved out of a place. 1843 came and went. When he was pressed for a day, he had given March 21st, 1843, and he said that was the day. When that day left, he revised his calculations, said he had misadded, and that the new day was March 21st, 1844, and it didn't come. 
year 1988 was one of those dates that everyone thought the end of the world was coming. Anybody remember the Y2K crisis eight and a half years ago? At the stroke of midnight on the year 2000, every computer system in the world was going to shut down. And we were going to have no lights, no, no electricity, had to have water in our basement to last for years. But we're still here. The truth is we live in a time when there are wars and rumors of war, where there is pestilence, where there is famine. But so have people that have lived for 2,000 years. Look what Jesus says in this passage. Verse 36. No one. Everybody say, no one. No one. No one knows about the day or the hour. No one knows when Christ will return. Write this down somewhere on your handout. It won't be on the screen. No person knows. I mean, even scientists have got into this. I don't know if you've heard of the doomsday clock. But in 1947, these people built a doomsday clock and they backed it up from midnight to tell when the world was going to end. You may not know this, but right now they have the clock set at 11.55. They moved it up two minutes in 2007. The truth is, no person knows. And I can tell you something for sure. If someone tells you that the world is going to end on a certain day, I can almost guarantee it's not going to end on that day. It may end before it, and it may end after it, but it's not going to end that day. Nobody knows. Here's the second thing. Jesus says not even the angels know. This is something that I haven't given to them. No person knows. No angel knows. This is the one that blows my mind. Not even the Son of God, when He was here, knew. I just want you to think about this for a second. Because I can almost guarantee you could go on television today and find somebody that can tell you they know pretty sure when the world's going to end. Find some preacher that will tell you. Find somebody that will give you the news. The truth is, if Jesus Christ, while He was on earth and limited Himself in that knowledge, did not know when the world was going to end, I'm guessing that a televangelist doesn't know either. Alright? That's just a guess. And I'm glad we don't know. Aren't you? I mean, can you imagine what the world would be like if we knew? Some people would just give up. That's it. Sell everything. I'm just giving up. Some people would live like crazy until the moment they knew they had a chance to repent, and then they would at the last minute. I heard a story about a guy that lived a pretty wild life, a guy named John Belushi. Some of you remember John Belushi? One of those comic figures of another generation that was so talented. And someone asked him one time about his wild living, and he said, Listen, I know the story of Christianity. I know about Jesus. I know all that stuff. But I'm going to live as hard as I can till I have to make that decision. Now, the tragic thing in the life of John Belushi is his hard living cost him his life. Some people would live it up. Some people wouldn't do anything. But the truth is, nobody knows. Here's the thing, though, Scripture tells us. Even though we don't have a clue when it's going to happen, second thing we need to understand is we need to always be prepared. We must be ready at all times. We must be ready at all times. Now, this isn't going to be going the blanks that are on your handout, but let me tell you some things that Jesus warns against in this passage of Scripture. 
In this passage of Scripture, he warns against a cavalier attitude. In 37 through 39, he says that it'll be like the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up till the day. The point there is not that we aren't supposed to marry and be married or that we aren't supposed to live our lives. It's just that they were completely unaware. They were completely cavalier about their lives. They were just going about their business without any idea of what God was about to do. He also warns following that in 42 through 44 about a careless attitude. He tells the story of a thief. How many of you here have ever had something taken from you, robbed, a thief come? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you that had your hand raised? Leave them up, all right? Leave them up. How many of you would have prevented it if you could? Nobody put their hand down. You You can put them down now. I won't make you keep them up through the whole service. I remember one night getting a phone call from my parents. They had gotten back from an event, and when they got to their house, the back window was broken. Some things were taken, not a lot, but some. Apparently the thieves got scared for some reason. I remember just talking with my mom and dad through that experience, and even though not much was taken and they were able to recover some of what it was, it wasn't the stuff that was taken. It was this feeling that they had been violated. That this person had come into their house without their knowledge and had been there. And this idea, and I remember mom and dad saying, if we would have only known, we would have done something about it. And Jesus says, when it comes to my second coming, to my returning, don't have a careless attitude. Take All the precautions. The last thing he warns against is the callous attitude. That's in verses 45 through 51. You don't have to read that. You can read that a little bit later. But the truth is that in that passage he says that if you're just out there living and you just don't care, it's not that you're cavalier, it's not that you're careless, you just don't care at all, then what you have is this attitude that is callous to his coming. So we can't be cavalier, we can't be careless, we can't be callous. We must always be ready. The truth is that we're not promised another day and that God intends for us to live our life with urgency. I've heard that it has been said that Satan once called together all of the emissaries of hell and wanted them to have one representative to go to earth to be his spokesman at this time. And he said, I need you to get people to go to their ruin. And one steps up and said, I'll do it, sir. If I will go, and Satan says, what would you tell him? He said, I will tell him that there is no heaven. Satan just looked at him and said, they won't believe you. For there is a bit of heaven in every heart. Every heart longs for it. They know it is there, and they know that victory must come. You cannot go because that message will not work. Another one came and he said, sir, I'll go. Well, what are you going to tell him? He said, I'll tell them there's no hell. He says, well, some might, but most won't believe you. For in every human heart, there's this thing called a conscience, an inner voice which testifies to the truth and that evil has to be defeated. They won't believe you fully. Then one last creature came forward. And he looked up at Satan and said, I'll go. And he says, what will you tell them? And he says, all I will simply tell them is that there's no hurry in living. There's no hurry 
and getting themselves right with their God. Jesus tells us that we must always be ready. Part of that being ready is to understand what will happen when He comes back. And I think you understand that to fully describe what will happen when Jesus comes back would take more than 10 or 15 minutes. But I want to give you four things that Scripture teaches that Jesus will do at His second coming. And the first thing He will do is He will judge the living and the dead. Now, we don't have time to go into a full understanding of all that is there, but Scripture clearly teaches that at His second coming, He will come not in a meek and mild manner like He did in the manger, that He will come in full radiance and that He will come to judge. And He will judge the living and the dead. Some He will judge, and there will be two kinds of judgment. There will be those that are judged and punished for eternity in hell. We'll, We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. There will be some that are judged that are sent to heaven, and we'll talk about that next week. But there's also an understanding that Christians will be judged as well. Now understand this, that judgment will not be on your sins. Because, see, we believe that when Jesus Christ died for our sins, He died for our sins. When He washed them clean, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so when you get to heaven, He is not going to start replaying all your sins. When I was in the youth group, they used to scare me to death, making me think. Back then it was VHS tapes. I guess they'd be DVD or Blu-ray. That when I got to heaven, there was going to be a big screen like one of these, and I was going to stand up in front of it, and St. Peter was going to go, here's all of his bad stuff. Everybody watch. That's not going to happen because it's been washed away. Our judgment will not be how bad we've been. Our judgment will be how we have served the Lord. And again, we don't have time to talk about it, but Scripture seems to teach that there will be reward levels in heaven. It tells us don't lay up your treasure here on earth, but lay it up in heaven. There are going to be some people here that get in, as it tells us in Scripture, by the skin of their teeth. Everything will be burned up. And there will be others that we would never suspect They're going to be wealthy beyond our imaginations in heaven. Now, let me just say this. Any day in heaven is better than anything on earth. So it's not like you're going to get there and be upset about what you got, all right? We'll talk about it again next week. We'll go into that some, but nobody's going to be, man, I thought heaven was going to be better than this. That's not going to be the case. He's going to judge the living and the dead. Here's the second thing. He's going to lift the curse. And its effects, the curse started in Genesis when we sinned and we carry it on in our own sin. And Jesus will take that away. He will lift the curse from our lives. He will lift the curse of sin. And part of that lifting the curse is that He's going to give us new glorified bodies. Now it tells us in Scripture that we all have bodies that are wasting away on the outside. Now, the truth is, some of our bodies are wasting away more than others. I'm not going to point out anybody. You're welcome. But some of ours are wasting away more than others. But the truth is, we're all wasting away. I cannot do things that I could do 15 years ago and feel the same the next morning. We just got through playing spring league softball Only about a month and a half ago, and my body still can tell I played spring league softball. They're wasting away. 
And when Christ comes, we will have new glorified bodies. Now, Scripture seems to teach that won't happen till Christ comes again. And so those that have gone on before, I don't know if their bodies are going to meet in the middle. I don't know with their spirit. But it's going to happen. And here's the cool thing about our new bodies. They're going to be like Jesus' glorified body. We're going to be superheroes. Walking through walls, teleportation. That's not what they call it in Scripture, but that's what Jesus did. He just showed up wherever He wanted. And we'll never be sick again. Here's the last thing. He'll bring peace. Shalom. Now the Hebrew word shalom there means He will bring overwhelming, undeniable peace that passes all understanding Peace that can only be explained through Him. And peace there doesn't mean that the absence of conflict, it means complete wellness. Complete and utter health. Now here's the thing. When you look at some of that, especially that first part about judging when He comes back, the question is, how do we live to be prepared? And again, this is something you can write on the handout somewhere and have room for all your notes, so you've got to make room. How do we live in the middle of that? The truth is we just need to continue to live as Christ called us to live. Some of you may remember the 1960 presidential campaign of John F. Kennedy. In that campaign, he used to close his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives in the 1780s. One day in 1789, the sky over Hartford began to grow darker than normal. And some of the representatives suddenly thought the end of the world was at hand. Davenport quieted the crowd and he said this, Either the day of judgment is approaching or it's not. If it's not here, there's no reason to adjourn. If it is, I choose to be found doing the very thing God has called me to do. So bring the candles and let's keep working. Here's my thing. I don't know when the end of the world is coming. I don't know if we walk out of this room today that Jesus Christ might not return this afternoon. If He does, praise be to God. I don't know that for sure. It may be another 200 years before Jesus comes back. It may be another 2,000 years. I don't have a clue. The signs of the time seem to say that things are intensifying. They're growing stronger. But the truth is that the closer we get to the coming, they're going to do that anyways. And we're closer now than we've ever been. You realize that, right? Tomorrow we'll be closer then than we've ever been. I don't know when it's coming, but I know I need to live my life that if I walk out of this door and it happens right now, I'm okay. Three things you can write down you ought to be doing on a regular basis. First of all, you live your life to glorify God. You live your life to glorify God. That means it is not about us. It is not about our agendas. It's not about our programs. It is about Him. The reality is, when Jesus Christ comes, I'm going to glorify Him anyways. I might as well get to practice now. The truth is, when we get to heaven, there are going to be some of you that, if you're not careful, are going to be uncomfortable with the worship there. Because it is going to be loud, and it is going to be energetic, and it is going to be raucous. It is not going to be staid and calm. 
I've never heard an angel sing, but I imagine they can sing pretty well. Scripture teaches we've got to be glorifying God here. Now, realizing glorifying God isn't just singing praises all this time as we talked about last week. Glorifying God is whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. So whether that is working your job, you do it for His glory. Whether that is raising your kids, you do it for His glory. Whether that is living your life in front of your friends and neighbors, you do it for His glory. Whether that is working at your schoolwork, whether that is doing the chores that God has called you to do because of the chores that have been assigned to you. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever you are doing in your life, you work at it to glorify Him. The second thing is that you evangelize the lost. Here's the thing. If you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, there are people you would want to talk to. I said it's a good thing we don't know, and that's true on most things. But on this one, if there, if you knew that tomorrow someone was going to hell without Christ unless you shared Jesus or they accepted Jesus for themselves, then you would want to talk to them. The truth is we don't have any assurance he's not, so you better get to it. In a few weeks, in the month of October, we're going to do a series of sermons and Sunday school class lessons and talk about as a church, what would you do if you have 30 days to live? The truth is, and I'll go ahead and give you the whole point of that whole series, all right? That doesn't mean you don't have to come. I'm just going to give you the point right off the bat. We ought to be living every day like it's our last day. You glorify God, you evangelize the lost, and here's the last thing, you build up His church. That doesn't necessarily mean this church. That means His church. I believe we are His church, but He also has a bigger church than this. And we need a building up His church. Jesus says in verse 36, No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. But in verse 42 He says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know what day your Lord will come. A couple of years ago, I was driving down the road, and I saw this bumper sticker that it took me a minute to realize what it was saying. And it was just three letters. It was R U E with a question mark. You write that down on your paper. R U E with a question mark. That's the one last question. And I, you know, I mean, you know how when you see a sometimes you're in traffic and you see a license plate that's one of those personalized or you're trying. What in the world are they trying to say? My first thought was they ought to be more clear. If it's that important to them, they ought to be more clear. But then I figured it out because the R and the U were in black, but the E was in red. And so the bumper sticker meant to say R U red E. Are you ready? And here's the thing. Are we living in the last days? Absolutely. Do we know when it's going to end? No. But are you ready? If we were to walk out of here this morning and Jesus Christ were to come back this afternoon, which I believe fully He could, are you ready? Now, there are a lot of things that you have to do to be ready. First of all, being ready means having a relationship with Him. It means accepting Him. That means saying to Him, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I am a sinner. I have made some mistakes. But You died for me on the cross. You gave Your life for me. You rose again from the grave. And I accept the forgiveness that You are offering. I want to be ready. 
For some of you in this room, that means altering priorities, altering plans, thinking differently about what you're doing in your life. It means parenting differently, working differently, living differently. And in order to get ready for the Lord to come at any moment, you've got to make some changes. The question is, will you? Are you ready?